On this episode, I sit down with Lynette Sanders to talk about the power of words, writing down your goals, defining your ideal future, and how people will do just about anything in the world for us except read our minds. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Today, I have a wonderful woman joining me. Her name is Lynette Zanders. And um, I met Lynette back at the Ben Design Conference, I believe, two years ago. And she has just been someone that has uh, been very inspiring to me. And um, it's amazing. to She just has a, a very good way of uh, painting and phrasing and just trying to understand are the complex beings that we are. So Lynette, I'll just go ahead and hand things over to you and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks. Thanks for asking me to play. I love these things. Uh, I uh, am the CEO and chief strategist of Wild Alchemy, um, which is a company basically that solves problems for other companies that make uh, that make things with humans. So I call it creative de development companies. Could be advertising agencies, could be uh, companies that make shoes. Um, I am a strategist. I uh, am an artist, uh, an author, um, a skier, dog lover, sushi lover, spa aficionado, um, and a somewhat recent uh, transplant to Central Oregon full-time. Hmm. So one of the things that, um, I, first of all, I think the, just the way that you, even that your introduction, I am fascinated by, and I, I aspire to be more like, but it, but that is basically being comfortable, um, with everything that you're interested in. I, I look at you as someone that has done a fantastic job of integrating their life and work together to create kind of the optimal, um, uh, existence, I guess. Thanks. I'm working towards that. But tell me a little bit about how how did you get to this place that you feel like you are in now, which I guess is kind of a vague question, but I'll let you take that in whatever direction you Fair. want. So I will tell everybody who said, how did you get into strategy? How did you get into advertising? How did you get into being a business owner. And um, I would have to say I fell into all of it, um, but fell into almost purposefully in that maybe I'm just a brat, but I've always just kind of followed the things that interested me. And I was allowed to do it even in college, you know, going to an engineering college as a liberal arts major, they said, do whatever you want, go study whatever you want. Um, so I did. And I pursued a course that was uh, a little psychology and a little communications and uh, ended up with a degree in persuasion. But there wasn't a job for me when I got out of college. Um, and then I went to, uh, I met someone who worked for an ad agency and told him how much I didn't want to work for an ad agency and told him why. And he said, that's absolutely perfect. And you don't have to do that if you don't want to. So um, I, I moved to Vancouver, BC because I loved to ski and I loved that place. And I figured I'd find a job. Um, I thought I'd tend bar and I ended up finding a job in my field. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of go where the wind takes you as long as um, 
you're doing it for uh, for reasons for you, not for the title, not for the money, not for what your parents think you should be doing. Um, and once I discuss, I, I learned to trust my instincts and, and the signs, you, I just kind of have jumped and the ladder has appeared kind of thing. So that's one thing uh, I like that you said, trust your instincts. Uh, do you think that people, is that a muscle that you can work on and you get better at trusting your instincts and or taking action on those feelings? I would assume so. I mean, I believe that same thing to be true for creativity and courage and a great many other things that we can teach ourselves to do. It's kind of the difference between courageous and brave is the brave are still scared. They just do it anyway. Um, hmm. So I guess I... You can, I guess, can practice scaring yourself and then going back and realizing that it might have seemed chaotic and dramatic, but good things came from it. So I guess it's back to self-discovery, right? And just kind of going, you know, that was, and I haven't been fired. Well, I was fired from a job and I will tell you later which one. And it was pretty funny. Um, but, you know, some people can take that as, oh, these things are happening to me. And I've gone back and looked at him and said, that was a fabulous thing that happened to me because then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And it wouldn't have happened any other way. Um, so I expect chaos to be a little dramatic, but to push me in the right direction. My, guess, personal version of hell would be to know exactly how it ends and exactly how I'm going to spend my days um, between now and then. So. Um, Maybe I just kind of seek culture shocks and, and adventures. Um, but absolutely, I've, I've gotten more brazen uh, the older I've gotten and the more I've realized that things turned out really well and just to, to let it ride, not, tr not mm. try to control it. All right. Do you, it sounds like uh, you kind of are in certain subtle ways, you're always pushing your comfort zone a little bit? A little bit. Or look for that? I do. Yeah. I think boredom is, uh, or complacency is my, I'm, I'm fighting against that every day. And I guess once you've been, I've run this company for over 20 years and when what I do every day changes, thank God for that. Um, but I, I, maybe I bore easily. I really like to be a little bit nervous. I like to, um, do things I haven't done before. Um, it's kind of like learning to learning anything new at an older age is just that thrill of, hey, I'm not really sure how this is going to turn out. The The quote that I love was uh, from a race car driver. It said, if you ain't just a little bit scared, you ain't driving fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So in your um, bio, you say that you seek truths in the real world. What do you mean by that? And I guess the, this, especially when you, you put in quotes, the real world. Right. Um, I find in my work, both with individuals and with companies slash brands, that what tends to get people into trouble is believing everything they think um, of not uh, of kind of taking illusions of kind of assuming that, you know, um, what's wrong and how to fix it and what your brand stands for and, you know, what product you should put out in the marketplace. So my, my day job is really to go talk to customers on behalf of my 
clients to find out what they really think and what really drives their um, decisions and their preferences. And I will say my clients are very, very smart, but nine times out of 10, they're absolutely wrong. So it's really kind of going, we can take all your assumptions and your guesses and what you think we should do, but I'm going to go check it with um, people who aren't getting paid by your company and find out what the, what the truth truth is. So, uh, okay. So the real world to you is we, we, uh, we develop over time assumptions and things of who we, who we are or what is right and what is wrong. Um or again, I guess what is true, what we think is true, mm-hmm. but you're saying we have to continuously go back to quote the real world and keep testing and, and making sure that we're actually grounded in 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 this case what customers actually think. Yeah. And if it's a if it's your personal, it's even take doing the exercise of asking your five friends what they admire most about you which makes a lot of people nervous, but it's a really fabulous exercise. And the things that people spit back about, you know, even clients, what they value about me or, you know, friends to say, you know, you're this, this, and this, there are always some big surprises in there. Um, it's kind of our version of reality versus, you know, without input from other places. And I find that we often just don't ask to say, you know, how do I come across? And uh, it's the equivalent of, do these genes make me look fat? Um, but, but, <laughs> but wanting the real answer. Right, right. Okay. So one of the, uh, I remember I took a class of yours or the little workshop, and I don't know if this is, if I'm going to say this in the exact way that you would, you would name this or, or describe this. But one of the things that I took away was the power of naming, uh, naming what you want, setting goals, kind of painting your future. You have, I guess I'll, I'll just kind of let you expand upon that, um, maybe give some examples or just describe your take on on all of that. Yes, the power of putting words to things um, and then the power of, of writing them down. Uh, I've kind of studied this for a while because um, once I got a glimmer of, hey, maybe this is true and now this seems true and how about I keep testing it? And the more I read about it, the more I learn, and the more I test it, the more I find it to be true that people will do anything in the world for us except read our minds. Um, and if if you're thinking, you know, I think about putting things out to the universe, whatever that is for you, but it can't read your mind either. So we don't even know what we think until it comes out of us, either in a written form or spoken form. And what tends to get in the way of all of that is that we kind of fall into the really lazy, you know, with ourselves and with other people where you go, you know, I kind of want it to look like this. Well, you know, um, so one of the examples I like to give is, uh, my poor daughter, I took her, uh, skiing when she was little bitty to, uh, Sun Valley because we had some friends that had a free place and we walked into the old lodge and she said, mom this is a really nice place. I said, how do you know? Like you're two and a half. Like, how do you know it's a really nice place? And she goes, well, you know, and I was like, yeah, I know. And I get what you're saying, but I need you to say it. So why do you think this is a really nice place? She's like, ah, eye roll just because it is. Cause you can tell, you know, and I said, all right, I'm not going to feed you until you tell me why you think this is a really nice place. 
And she finally was like, because it's beautiful everywhere you look. And the act of actually putting that into words helped her know what she thought of as a nice place. Like, what's her litmus test? And I knew then what she thought of as a really nice place and the litmus test. But we often just leave that last 5% and lump it into you know. And then we never really finish our sentences, that we never really finish our thoughts. We never really create a vision of what we're talking about. Um, and if I may, I've got one other little anecdote where I've, I've studied this thing. And there's this study that was done. I think this is David Allen from Creating Wealth. It was a, a book a while ago. But they did a, uh, a study of a graduating class of an Ivy League university. And it was done back in the 60s, right, when it was a little, it was even more homogenous. And they wanted to know what percentage of that graduating class had financial goals and what percentage of them didn't and what percentage actually wrote their goals down. And they found out that 10% total um, had actual goals for themselves. 90% um, didn't. And 3% of that 10% had actually written their goals down. And they went back 20 years later to see if there was any effect on people having uh, specific goals for themselves or not. And what they ended up proving was the only difference was between the 3% who wrote their goals down and everybody else. And the 3% made more money than the other 97% combined. So it wasn't having goals or not having goals, even though um, it's one step closer. It was writing those goals down seemed to give them power. Mm. And I don't know if it's stapling it to our brain or it puts it in our subconscious. I don't know why it works, but it does. Mm. And that's so I think that, well, to be honest, first of all, the I feel like that's making me think Natalie and I, uh, my wife, have talked about what we want to accomplish. Um, and I at times I have wrote down, you know, my own personal th career goals. But it's kind of making me think well, we should write down our financial goals together um, and make sure because I, I think another thing that's interesting, or at least I'm reflecting on, is that we can talk. We talk all the time. Um, and this is with your spouse. And so it's making me think how much worse is it with people that you work with mm -hmm. um, that we think we're on the same page and we're always, you know, we're describing and talking about what we're doing and where we're going and what our, what we're trying to accomplish. But how much more effective would it be for both of us to just say, hey, I know we talk about all this all the time, but let's actually, you know, specifically spell out in as much detail as we can where we're headed together, you know? Agreed. Can I add one thing to that? Mm -hmm. I um, I find a lot of people when they write down goals, it's either uh, a weight slash fitness goal or a financial goal. Those are easy for us, mm. I think, because they're measurable. Um, so I invite people to fill out your whole flywheel. Like your flywheel is that gyroscope that is the balance of your life. And we tend to go heavy on, on the money side. So we're just kind of out of whack. So... Part of it is knowing what success looks like across your uh, relationship goals, your fun goals, your creativity goals, um, like really play out your flywheel beyond um, financial and career and health and fitness, and then have a litmus test. So the brief for a company is the same for a brief for anything you want in life. Figure out what it is that you want to have happen and be able to measure how will we know when we get there. Even if it's anecdotal, even if your happy meter goes from a seven to an eight or an eight to a nine, even if it's number of days that you sleep in or number of days that you go paint or write, 
um, putting some actual litmus tests to those flywheel goals, uh, I think is what helps us achieve that elusive uh, live work balance. It's all mm. one pool of time and energy. That's funny that you, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but someone was saying that, uh, I think that's a great point that you, you don't want, just want to say, I want to have $10 million, you know, invested or whatever. And because that's a very narrow scope and it's like, so why, why that? Like, what is that giving you and trying to expand upon that? But someone was saying that when you actually do that, like, I like what you just said, I don't know, write down the number of days per week that you get to sleep in or, you know, how many days, number of days that you get to paint or sing or play music or whatever it is. Um, when you actually do that, there's a couple things, I, at least from my perspective, you actually are not as far away from achieving those things that would, you know, fulfill you or make you happy as you think. Mm -hmm. And someone said this a little bit facetiously that he really wanted a nice piano, like having a, a grand piano in his living room was like a, a sign of, um, have made, you know, making it. And we were both joking that like, you know, technically <laughs> you could just go buy a grand piano right now and plop it in your living room and you accomplished it. But then when he, you know, talking about that further, it was in his mind, he always thought of a, a grand piano as only something that you can have in a, um, in like a particular room of your house. And so then he started thinking about the room and everything else around it and why that was important and everything. But I guess the point being like, if you say this is my goal is to sleep in four out of the seven days of the week, technically I could just do that in the next four days and be done. <laughs> you know what right? I mean? You have yes. to make sure that you expand on, but what about that? And what, what are you doing when you sleep in all that stuff? But I, I, I like that a lot. Well, my, my full brief definition of success um, is I need to be able to sleep in, eat sushi, play hooky a couple of times a month without worrying about my checking account balance. Mm. And so when I first started, I had the same thing. His piano, for me, it was a sparkly watch. I was, I always worked my ass off. And uh, I, you know, said to my mom, I really ultimately, I'm one day I'm going to buy myself this really sparkly watch because it's just to me, love me. Um, it makes me happy. And she said, that's awesome. And you should do that if you want that. But my definition of success is not having to wear a watch. So if you really had that much money, what would you do differently? How would you spend your life? Mm. So that was a really nice catalyst to go from the financial to, okay, what's an ideal day in my life look like? Mm. Right. Absolutely. Because I don't really want to retire. I want to be semi-retired for a long period of time. <laughs> yes, I like that. <laughs> it's so true. I was talking to Natalie about I we would like on paper like to retire like at 40, you know, but it's not I don't have retirement to me is not like sitting in the Bahamas next to the pool for the next 50 years of my life. Like that's not enjoyable. Um, but that's a good thing to identify that basically what we're saying is we would like to be like you just said. I like that phrasing. Just not worry about the money, you know, and yeah. get to just continue to do what we do every, or what we want to do every day. And then, so that's the next step for me, I guess, is making sure that I spell out specifically. That's the next step for me, I guess, is that I spell out specifically um, 
you know, what that, what everything in my life is that is success or enjoyable for me. Yeah. And I've, I've summed it up as cherry picking. Mm. If I can cherry pick, but be very careful with your brief, right? It's be very careful what you ask for. It's the old Tammy Faye Baker. She used to pray that her life be interesting and she realized she should have been much more specific. <laughs> right. So the, one of the things, I think this was another, this kind of goes in line with that naming or setting goals or, or I guess painting our future. Um, does you, I think, I don't know if this was a concept that you had come up with or if you um, repurposed it or structured it, but a personal manifesto, um, where did that come from? And can you, I don't know if you have yours handy. Um, oh, I can pull it up. Or, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, I feel like, in in one of the classes that you taught, I think you described a martini as a an oh, example yes. of being very um, descriptive. And I don't think that was um, now that I'm thinking about. It, I don't think that was someone's personal manifesto, but it's that train of thought that you're trying to shoot for, I guess. It is. And uh, while I look this up, it, a manifesto is really um, kind of a looking at something poetically and not just bits and bites and you know what's the when I start looking at a product it's kind of like oh people can start trying to sell me a martini by saying it's gin over ice and describing what it is when it really is Fred Astaire in a glass right fire and ice pure liquid crystal and so it's taking that exercise and that I guess that way of looking at the world that lens and applying it to yourself and I don't know anybody else who's done these. I'm sure there there are, and I always give credit because I'm really just a compendium of things that I've learned from other people. But it all started when I was applying for a job at Wyden and Kennedy like a million years ago. I'm afraid to even tell you how long ago it was. And Chris Riley, who's still a luminary um, and one of my dear friends, uh, said at the time, because he wasn't my dear friend then, I was trying to get a job. He said, I have your resume. So I know, I have a record of your time. I know where you've been. I know how long you've been there. I even know what you know how to do, but I don't know anything about you. So go away and write me a one-page handwritten missive on what makes you tick so that we can figure out if you're a good fit or not. So I was in LA at the time, I think, not just at a conference and sat down at the Ivy, white tablecloth, still work really well for me, ordered a really nice bottle of wine with a gorgeous pen and two pieces of paper. So I got one draft and then I had to just nail it. So part of this is writing it not in a computer because we write differently in computers. Um, but my goal was to say, this is who I am. And uh, this is a, a, a lure or a filter. So either you're going to love me or you're going to hate me, but this is a fabulous idea. Let's decide now. And they since offered me a job a couple of times. And I said, no, a couple of times we've stayed friends. I've worked with them. I'm just not a good employee. So, but the manifesto that I ended up writing for him was, um, I like goosebumps and I like to cry. I thrive in the space between what is and what could be. I breathe life into what ifs and why nots. I'm a chameleon. People tell me secrets willingly. It's a gift. I feel the subtleties of everyday life. I crave fun. I'm completely alive when I'm on the threshold of contrast, like the shore or where thunder and lightning are made. I always have an opinion, but I don't always have to be right. I see things sideways. That's a gift too. 
I'm addicted to smart people. I love to solve problems. I'm not afraid of much. I'm a pleasure pig. I hate rules. I have Texas, London, and Canada in my soul. I believe that mediocrity is death. I play well with others, but run with scissors. Brands and advertising are my passions, and I'm driven to do something beautiful and important. I was born to do this and believe I'm good at it because I love it. Mm, so cool. I love that. Thank you. Well, I think part of what was really helpful for me was not only knowing what makes me tick, but being able to tie who I am to my craft, what I want to do, what makes me suited for this, this vocation that I've chosen. Because I'm still and always will be a planner at heart where you're going to investigate to solve problems. Mm. So that, I guess I would say how the manifesto is just that it, like it's a, I guess I would say it's kind of like a, a piece of art um, when it's done right. But at the same time, it's also, do you feel like, or when you wrote that, one thing that I've always thought about is how, and I don't know if you've edited that over the years and or how much have you changed to become that since you originally wrote it? Oh, that's an interesting question. I have not changed it. Um, and I did not edit it. Like once I nailed this, I kind of was like, I feel, I feel like it's uh, a reflection, even though people have said, you know, you really need to take out the part that you like to cry. <laughs> I don't know if that's a female thing or what. And I was like, no, I would rather cry than be bored any day. Um, and so I don't feel like it has guided me, except, you know, when you kind of go, oh, I could get a really fat paycheck at this company and sit behind a desk. And I kind of read this and go, I would last a week. Mm. It's just kind of, have you met me? That's not who I am. Mm. So it's reminded me when, um, when I've been at a crossroads and tempted with always money tempted with Moby tempts me with freedom because I can do that for my own self. Um, but I, I am amazed at how often I go back and go, yeah, that's all, that's all still true. Mm. Yeah. Cause I was going to say one thing that I've thought about with uh, a personal manifesto is basically um, blending. And I've heard this in setting goals that there's a strategy of, writing things that you've already done and then writing things that you're going to do but in the past tense and then you just kind of merge all of them together into who you are and read you know whether it's on note cards or whatever but just stay, staying this stuff and then repeating it and just continuing to see it um, which i think is an interesting i guess i would look at it as kind of a personal manifesto when done properly is just a more uh, artistic way of doing that same task. So my question is, do you feel like, I mean, ultimately what you're trying to do, I guess, is be very clear on who you are, but is there, I don't know, what's the, how do you balance kind of if you're in a place where you're not really happy with who you are or you don't like your job or you're trying to mm. paint the picture of what this ideal you is? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I totally do. So uh, I liken this to visioning, you know, whether you believe in that uh, it's not even the woo woo kind, like it's uh, even performance 
um, pro golfers. You kind of, uh, you even saw it in the Olympics, right? They kind of go through their whole routine in their head before they actually get on the slope. So we are patterns of thought and light. And what we repeat um, to ourselves tends to become uh, real. So if you're not in a good place, I would say try, well, I would say take vacation um, and go do this on vacation. And uh, it's paddling. Do whatever it is you need to do to make you happy in that moment. What do I feel like eating? I'm going to sleep till I'm not tired anymore. Um, I'm going to do something I love. I'm trying to, going to try to get back to my authentically happy self um, and then capture that. And consciously try to imagine a reality two rungs above where you are. And so one of the things that I did to kind of kickstart well, going freelance uh, a million years ago too was looking at how I define success and just looking through stock photo books. And for those of you who were born um, more recently, uh, it's kind of like Getty Images, um, but you, instead of searching for something, you just flipped through patterns um, and, and themes. And it was the idea of looking for things that you weren't looking for and noticing things that struck you. Um, so collecting pictures and images and ideas, things that spoke to you or speak to you and elevate you in some way that feel, um, I think, reasonably attainable um, because it just makes it more real. Like you can always update it and upgrade it um, later. But if you have images around it, and some of times it's just those pictures we pull are just, what am I trying to tell myself? Like this is stuff that we don't tend to think about. We spend more time planning a two-week vacation than we do what makes us tick in the course of our lives um, and designing things accordingly. We just assume that they have to be this way because they've always been this way and that's what everybody else does. Um, but I said, I want to go freelance and I don't want to ever be in a meeting as long as I live unless I'm getting paid for it. Um, and the way you get around that is to tell your clients that if we meet over food and beverage, that it's a conversation, not a meeting, and that you won't charge them for it. Uh, so you can design your life. I think sometimes we just assume that that's just the way it is and I can't color outside those mm. lines. So yeah, th that's actually what you just said there is I, I think brings back conversations I've had with people. Um, part of, so I, I'm going to just say this and let you respond to it and then I'll explain. Sure. But if, if I were to say... What gives you the audacity to just think that you can say, <laughs> this is this is what I want to do. I don't want to be in meetings or I want to, I never want to have to um, work at a desk the rest of my life or, or like, how, how can you just say that? Well, I think I can say it mostly because I can feed myself. So once I get to the point where I can convince clients to pay me a wage um, that it's not a popularity contest, that I can prove my worth, uh, that changed the ball game. And so I started collecting early days. I was told no one retires from an ad agency, so you better have a rock and plan B and figure out what people are willing to pay you for um, that doesn't overlap with what they're paying the agency for. So it was how do you find something of value that doesn't put you in competition with the people who trained you basically. So as soon as I figured out um, that people said, you are awesome at this and I don't care what anybody else says about you, paraphrasing, um, 
then you can start to make the rules. And I don't even think it's audacity. What I'm finding is when I ask clients, hey, that eight o'clock meeting you want to have, can we do that at 10 instead? Nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. Or, hey, can we meet at the restaurant and talk about this over lunch instead of in your little brown boardroom? Sure. It's kind of, I'd rather do that. Um, so I think we just assume no, as opposed to, you know, saying, I'm just, I'm going to make the world the way I want it. Um, but yeah, the day that I had some, some case studies that I could say, I know I've made these companies money and I know what the effect of my work has been on the bottom line. I could make my rules. I think the audacity really comes from how do you, how do you get the, excuse my language, how do you get the balls to call yourself an artist? Right? So for me, that was a harder litmus test. That was, okay, if I could sell something to someone for over $300, completely arbitrary, but over $300, that's not my mom. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, for me, I, Lynette, you are allowed to call yourself an artist. Um, but what's the, I mean, everything that we do is a little bit of audacity if we're driving fast yeah, and enough. So that's because when I, my thought was, first of all, I, I don't agree with that because I've had people basically, I feel like a fear that most people have when they're in kind of this, whatever they describe as their hell or their unhappiness, you know, whether it's in a job or the mm -hmm. type of work they're doing or a particular client. And they get trapped. And I guess I the reason I ask that is because I sometimes feel like, and I like what you just said, we assume no, very, like way too often. Because I don't think it's audacity at all. I think it goes back to say what you want and what are you willing to give up in the short term to potentially achieve that. But it's I don't I, don't, I guess I, I just I feel like the the hardest part is getting started. But how do you, what, what advice would you have? Or I guess I should ask you, do you, are you tracking with me or do you have anything that to expand upon like the person that hasn't got going? I'd yeah, I'd love to throw a couple things your way um, and in no particular order. But some people, when I coach people, they say, I just can't get the motivation. And, and maybe that's just, I can't get over the fear. So, and this is an old Tony Robbins before he was just all sales. Um, but the two questions were, what do I get if I do this behavior? And what do I lose if I don't? And I think people get trapped by either the conventions of, I have a title, I have a corner office, um, I work for a, a swanky brand. Um, they get trapped by uh, the illusion of security. I think security is a myth. Um, and people get let go all the time for no reason. So the only security you really have is having a business card in your back pocket ready to go. Um, and I think it really is a test of faith and not the, the church kind of faith, but it's almost the um, believing that, that our happiness matters. So I think our happiness, our creativity, our productivity, and our efficiency are all inextricably intertwined. Like we were made to to serve, and we can't know how we serve if we don't know who we are and what makes us tick. So the last thing I'll say on this is what when people tend to get stuck in my world, I find it's because they're trying to think their way through a problem instead of feeling their way through a problem. So that's the old intuition. And we go to our heads first. 
But if you start to exercise the muscle of feeling your way through, of how do you feel when you walk into um, to your house at night? How do you feel when you crawl into bed with new sheets? How do you feel when you walk into a hotel lobby? Um, you know, that, that like the nines is just luxurious. And how do you feel when you walk into the DMV? <laughs> so just <laughs> putting words to that and noticing what lifts us up and what brings us down is going to make it easier than when we think of what do I, you know, uh, should I leave my job or not is usually the question I get asked. Um, and feeling how that feels to you to your own self. So not worrying about what will my parents say? Cause they'll always say, don't do it. Um, <laughs> so I just stopped asking. Although my mom, bless her heart. I used to call her and say, I really want to quit. She's like, walk, do it. You'll mm. find something else. Just, just, just don't sit still. Cause as soon as moss mm. grows, you're done. Um, but feel your way through. And then once you start to feel that muscle of what's right for you, um, that's going to lead you everywhere you need to go. And so to if I could rephrase that, basically your advice to somebody, whether, again, usually it's in this the person or the place of needing to take action or kind of in a place of discontent, whether that's from a job or relationship or a client or a project or whatever, just we have to be more aware and start kind of, again, name like I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Why do I feel uncomfortable? Because I'm in line at the DMV. Why does that make me feel uncomfortable? Because everybody around me is like <laughs> frowning or whatever. And, you know, like, so it's, it's getting more, uh, the chairs aren't comfortable. Like the walls are plain, um, you know, whatever that is. But if in what, like if, if we jump back into the job scenario, it's not, should I leave my job? It's start paying attention to what, what lifts you up in your job and what's draining you. Yeah, exactly what you said, but it's pulling it apart. I mean, once upon a time, I was going to quit advertising altogether and go back to vet school until they told me I had to take high school chemistry <laughs> again. I was like, no. But then I pulled apart. What do I love about my job? What do I love about my craft? What do I love about my day-to-day? And what do I hate about my job, about my craft, and about my day-to-day? And I realized I had a whole bunch of things in my love my craft pile and a whole bunch of things about I hate my job day-to-day. So I was like, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I just don't want to do it for these people, and maybe I don't even want to do it for an agency. Um, So I I call this unravel the hairball. Just start to pull it apart and say it doesn't all have to go together. But to your point, be aware which parts lift you up, which parts bring you down, and can I do something about it, or do I just have to change how I feel mm. about it? Awesome. Okay. And do you think that you will ever pursue another career, um, or? And I, th- I think I, the question almost needs to be rephrased for you. Um, what is, you know, what's the next fifty years look like for you? I love that you think I have 50 years. Thank you for that. I'm just betting on <laughs> science and health and technology and all that stuff. But anyways. Right. Um, it's probably going to look like me on the couch with Netflix. Um, <laughs> but what I, my next phase is I would love to do more speaking and more coaching. So I've studied this. I've put it against brands. I would love to see it in the field, helping individuals be happier. And if that's, you know, through just speaking in books so that I can boondoggle and 
again, cherry pick, go where I want, when I want, um, and have somebody, you know, pay for my meals while I'm elsewhere, then, then I win because I love what I do. I really don't want to stop doing it. Um, it's just, I need to not have the illusion of freedom, but have real freedom. Mm. And then what are your three book recommendations? Dude, I have so many book recommendations. I have a list on my website of <laughs> reading. Um, I read all the time. So I've got three that I love, but I'm going to plug my own and say the Momentum book is one that I wrote as a workbook to help people work through exactly these issues. It is not a linear journey. You can jump in anywhere. You could do one exercise. You could do them all. Um, but I think it's practical advice to move forward. I would be remiss if I didn't say the alchemist as obvious as that is, you know, Paulo Coelho, but it really is um, following your own path. Four Hour Work Week or Anything by Timothy Ferris. He's uh, the only author I follow. Mm. I love him to bits. So the idea of, hey, try that for three weeks. I thought I was going to move to Mexico. I tried it for six weeks. I was like, mm, no, maybe not. Got my dream car. Six months. Hmm, maybe not. Mm. So it was like, well, thank God I didn't wait till I was retired. Anyway, Timothy Ferris, anything. And then I love um, War of Art. So not the Art of War, but the War of Art. Stephen Pressfield. Mm. Um is a little uh, how to unstick yourself to kind of uh, get your creative juices flowing and uh, and really for writers. So even if you're not a writer, I think your self-discovery is going to come from writing about yourself and, and quest answers to questions that you have because it lets your subconscious vent in a way that thinking about it, talking about it doesn't. Um, and it's a stupid easy read and it's magnificent. Yep, and I, I will. I'm guessing what we probably should do is, uh, I'm gonna. I always link the books in the show notes, but I will also uh, link the page on your website that you said that has all the other book recommendations, and I'm assuming the Momentum book as well. Correct. Indeed. Yep. Okay. So free reading list, free downloads. I've got eBooks, but the Momentum book and the Killer Briefs is on there also. Um, awesome. That would be. I'm happy to share resources. Cool, and then. Favorite movie all time? It's a of tough question time. for everybody. I know, because I'm a movie fanatic. Um, but I really love True Romance. It's old. It has all my favorite actors in it. So anything with Christopher Walken, like I'm already in. Hmm. Um, but the, it's a love story, but set in a very real, raw world. And the premise at the end, you know, is kind of things can go really, really poorly, but it says, just remember, sometimes it goes the other way too. Mm. So that's, I just quickly looked this up on IMDb. I have a weird obsession with uh, ratings of movies. I won't oh, watch right? anything below a 7.3 on IMDb. And good news is True Romance has a 7.9. So I just added Woo! it to the watch list. You have good taste. I'm in. <laughs> I would love to hear your uh, critique. I think it was uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote it, but they wouldn't let him direct it because he hadn't done anything yet. So oh, Tony Scott Ridley, the Scott brothers produced it, and they are my favorite directors of all time. That's awesome. Um, all right. And then I think we have uh, – well, I guess the last question I'll just ask you is what's the uh, – well, to get in, people to get in touch with you, they can just visit your website. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's probably the best way. So you can hit me up on social, which is great. But if you really need me, send me an email. Okay. Um, and uh, I will get to it eventually. And I know that we're crunched for time, so we'll just do five rapid-fire questions. No okay, justification needed. Just go with your gut. Um, what is one of the things you would put on your bucket list or have on your bucket list? Uh, the cruise up the inside passage of Alaska. Who is your favorite superhero and why? <gasps> Must be Superwoman because she's badass. I have a superhero room, by the way, so that's a very specific question. Awesome. But yeah, Superwoman. What is your favorite movie quote? Being an awesome businessman means being an awesome middleman. What would you do on Mars for fun? Watch Netflix. What What is the worst place you could possibly get stuck? The DMV. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your biggest addiction? Oh, um, spas. Awesome. I love them. Facials, massages. Be kind to yourself. You change your oil if your livelihood depended on a car. So that's awesome. Do, do it. Yep. <laughs> All right, Lynette. Well, I really appreciate your time and um, thanks for joining us today. Um, and yeah, well, I'm sure we will be in touch and um, I'm hope I'm, I know and I'm excited for everyone else to get to hear this. Thanks. I really enjoyed doing it. I'd love to chat anytime. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. As always, you can check out the show notes in the description on the podcast or visit my website, chriskiefer.net, to find any other relevant links or information that was discussed on the show. We'll see you next time. You're listening to The Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.